Welcome to The Aggressive Life. As you may know, each week this month, we're doing a deep dive into the one of the five marks of a man. This is the primal code that separates the men from the boys. Uh, But whether you're male or female, familiar with the marks or not, there's something here for you. This week, I'm joined by my friend, Leonce Crump Jr. to take a closer look at the mark that men are team players. Boys want to be MVP. Boys want to be all-time quarterback. Boys want everything to revolve around them. They don't care about anybody else, but men are team players. Men will play the line, even if they got the best hand-eye coordination as a junior high kid, because that's what the team needs. While our culture might glamorize the lone wolf in the wild, it is the wolves that run with the pack who thrive. Lone wolves are skinnier, sicker, weaker, more hungrier, and die earlier than wolves in a pack. When you're in a pack, you can gather prey and support one another. Guys who call themselves a lone wolf are basically saying, I'm weak and not doing well. Even if it's been years since your days of sports in school, you and I are meant to exist on a, on a team in an interdependent interaction with each other. Your family, your friends, your work teams, any group that is larger than one person, that's a team. And today we're going to talk about how to get the most out of it. Leonce is an author, activist, founding pastor of Renovation Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's done a deep dive into teams that work, and he's put that learning into his newest book, The Resilience Factor, a step-by-step guide to catalyze an unbreakable team. We have a lot of people who want to get in the podcast to talk about their book, and we say a lot of no's, but when someone's written a book who's a personal friend of mine, and I think the world of, I go, absolutely, dude, let's get you on the freaking podcast, especially because I want to talk about men or team players. Welcome to the aggressive life, Leonce Crump Jr. Hey, hey, glad to be here. Tell me about the junior. Why junior? Tell me about your dad. Is that why it's junior? You're just like him? Uh, we are very similar. I am a junior, and actually, my son is the third. And uh, I wanted to carry on my my father's name with my son, and my dad, of course, fought my mom uh, to give me his name, and so I've tried to improve on it. And I've told my son he's got to take it to the next level too. I like that, Leon. So I'd never heard of that name before I met you. Yeah, Tokescasse Francais. Tell me about that. What is that? <laughs> it's French. French. Which what, yeah. so Leon's means wimp. Is that what Leon's means? Uh, if that's what lion means, it, it, it means lion. So as you were talking about the the pack, I was thinking about the pride because Leon actually means lion. Oh, lion. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, by the way, dude, I just saw the most brutal thing I have ever seen. Two grizzlies, the pride reminded me of it, two grizzlies fighting each other in Alaska. Did I send that to you, Dirt? Did you see that? You did. It was crazy. Oh, <laughs> my crazy. gosh. I will I will send that to you, Leon. So we got to figure out a way. Is there a way to well, put that put on a, a we podcast? Can, we can put a link to it in the show notes so you guys can watch it. All right, let's put it, it in the show notes. Oh, my gosh. Brutal. Well, anyway, um, where are we going with that? So you know, you, you've got a big family history, a big element of team going on. What, what makes you so interested in teams? Yeah, it's been my entire life. Uh, I started playing football when I was five years old. And and so I've been on a team, literally on a team of some kind, uh, for almost 43 years. 
And so um, my entire life has been fashioned around being interdependent with other people, contributing my gifts and my skills to, you know, a larger common goal. It's just how I was raised and our family functioned that way. Uh, I'm one of two siblings. Uh, God rest his soul. My brother passed away in, in September of 2021. Uh, but that's how we operated our entire life. And that's how our, our parents raised us. How did your brother die? He had esophageal cancer. Um, uh. Never smoked a day in his life. Uh, I think it was due to something he was exposed to in the military. He was a naval intelligence officer. Uh, I'm still not fully sure of what he did. Uh, we got a box of medals mailed to us uh, about a month and a half after he passed away. And so he served our country uh, proudly and faithfully. And, uh, you know, I miss him every day. That was my best friend. Oh, that's tough. And he was my Gosh, best teammate, so honestly. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, what what makes what made him such a good teammate for you? Uh, he went out of his way to understand what would make me win. And isn't that what a great team does for each other? Uh, he understood the dynamics that would bring the best out of me. And that was from sports to Jesus. You know, he actually came to faith before I did. Hmm. Uh, and so my younger brother actually was integral in leading me to Jesus. Uh, so, um, yeah, he just understood me and he took the time uh, to get to know me. Uh, and he pushed me, you know, and we pushed each other. We always pushed each other. We we're both wrestlers always drove each other to to try and, and and really get the best out of ourselves. So what gave you the desire or inspiration to write a book on being a teammate? Uh, you know, church is, a, is an interesting thing. <laughs> and, and actually, I was kind of diagnosing, and, and this, is, this is just my anecdotal experience, but I was diagnosing kind of the staff members that we've had challenges with over the years, uh, people who've kind of gone left or gone sideways. And as fascinating as this is, they all have one common denominator. Oh, let me guess. Hold on. Oh, fascinating. All have one common denominator. I should know this because we've gotten sideways a good number of staff. Let me see if I can guess. Uh, Dirt, you got any guesses? They're bad teammates. Yeah, but that's obvious. That's a that's given, a, I guess. Yeah. That is a given. <laughs> uh, they, um, okay, how about this? They want personal success more than they want team success. That is a fact. Um, but the other interesting thing is none of them had ever played a team sport. Ah, wow. Now, I don't know if that was, if that's just my experience. Wow. But literally, to the person, None of them had ever played a team sport. Golfers, swimmers, you know, ran track, uh, but, you know, individual events, not relays. And that's just a few of them that that uh, I'll reference without going too deeply. But it was it was just this fascinating thing. I leaned back one day and I was like, wow, all of the guys and gals who are still here were longtime athletes on teams, every single one. And interesting. The ones who have left, they all now there were other dynamics, of course, and other variables at play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's what sparked it in my mind was we don't know how to be a team. Uh, most human beings don't know how to actually function as a team. And if you've never played on a team or or played a team sport, it, it, in fact, even in your introduction, you know, my son, my son has incredible hand-eye coordination. And he ended up being the starting quarterback for his football team this year, but he started off on the line 
because he was the biggest kid out there. Mm-hmm. And and so they stuck him on the line. And I didn't balk and he didn't balk because right. it's best for the team. And and I just came to the realization that most nonprofit, for-profit, even church staffs, they're not teams. They're a collection of individuals. They are proximate to one another in in their version of some shared vision, but they're not actually a team. And, and so I wanted to be a part of a project that would help to give shape and scope and clarity, not only to what it meant to be a team, but how to become a resilient team on top of that. Dude, that is really, that is really good. I'm, I'm cycling through the vast numbers of staff members who've dropped out or we, or who we've asked to drop out. And I'm um, going my mind then. And I can't actually think of one that, that I know for sure had an athletic team experience. And then I'm going, well, why is it? You probably know the reason I'm just processing out loud. I, I I've always thought, why is it my best team experiences were on a high school football team? That's ridiculous. That's, that's so, so fleeting, so shallow, good, important. The, the, my best team experiences, my most, my, my greatest, greatest locker room talk should come in the context of a local church. That's right. The, the score is much, much more important. And then I think, yeah, when I was, when I was playing football, being uncomfortable was just a normal thing. That's you right. did two a days, you were uncomfortable, and you, and you lost. It was a normal, especially my high school. We lost a lot, <laughs> right? You learn how to lose. You learn how to play with people who are different than you. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of transferable thing that I think you get that inherently if you've had that in high school. That's exactly right. Yeah. And even earlier, you know, it, it, there, right. there is a, listen, I, I think, I still think to this day, if I had kept playing tight end, I would have had a longer football career. Um, but at my size and my speed, I had good hands, but they needed a defensive end. They didn't need another tight end. And so to benefit the team, I changed positions and I never got to go back. And, and so I went from college into the NFL as a defensive lineman, even though I wanted to be a tight end, but that's what the team needed. And and I really do believe that most Westerners in particular, with kind of this rabid individualism, yes, uh, which is not all bad, uh, but if they don't have that honed and formed in the context of an interdependent team, then they don't make good teammates as adults in, in the real world, in the business world, in, in the church world. I like that twist you you gave rabid individualism. We oftentimes talk about rugged individualism, which does lead to people being very isolated. But that's a that's a much more unhealthy term, which I feel more comfortable with cracking on that than actual rugged individual. Because I want to be rugged and I and I want to be self dependent. There's 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 a there's a stream of health there, but that rabid individualism. It's about me. It's about my accomplishments. It's about me not being fulfilled. Yeah, that's that that's ruling the day. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and an idea that I don't need anyone. Rugged individuals, rugged individualism says, if I'm forced to, I can make it happen on my own. Rabbit individualism says, I don't need anybody and I don't want anybody. They'll just be in my way, you know, and, and drawing the distinction between that even is so vital to, to not only health as a man, but, but health as, as a team. Are there statistics around today's 
younger generation, how involved they are in team sports relative to those of us who were in the 80s or 70s? I don't know that I want to tell you. you, you you're so happy. I don't want you depressed. Uh, you, so you know the answer to this? I do. You gotta go, what, I do. What's the answer? It, it's a rapid decline. I can't give you the exact number, um, but it is a rapid decline in team sports participation. Um, alarmingly, the grip strength of millennials and younger uh, is weaker than the men from previous generations. Um, their, their virility uh, has diminished significantly in men, millennials and down, uh, compared to previous generations. Virility, so, you're talking about sperm count? Uh, yes, and, and the uh, libido, the desire. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just reading a fascinating article on that and, and, uh, and just blown away because, you know, grip strength is an indicator of length of life and, and health of life over time. And, and it is alarming how much it has declined. Uh, men are using uh, TRT earlier, you know, in their mid-20s and 30s because it's starting to drop in the mid-20s and 30s uh, rather than in the, you know, early to mid-40s. We, you know, they're calling it the testosterone epidemic. Yes. There, there's a lot of things happening uh, that show a rapid decline, uh, particularly among men uh, in, in, you know, some of those mark those those biological markers of maleness and then in participation of some of those things that, that kind of draw that stuff. I hadn't thought about at all about the drop in team sports and gosh, that would have a lot of ties to a lot of things. Like maybe why fewer people are getting married because mm -hmm. they don't understand team. They haven't been in team. That's right. Obviously, why fewer people are sticking at employers longer. Why why employers aren't creating great workplaces because there's not this inherent thing of of team. It's that's that's really insightful. I had not I had not thought about that. That 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 actually explains a lot. It's in fact so much. It almost sounds too simplistic. Seriously, um, and and listen, the remote work culture is only exacerbating the issue. You know, so, um, and I can send you any of the stuff that you want because I'm a nerd, uh, but but the millennial and Gen Z generations, um, they're suffering from increased loneliness and intense loneliness. Uh, and remote work has exacerbated that, you know, because they're working in isolation, so they don't actually feel a part of a team. Yes. Uh, and, and this was a big kind of hullabaloo on my staff. Now, eventually everybody came around and they were fine. But people had gotten so accustomed to just kind of doing their work in their corner and, you know, throwing their piece of the pie together to get a project across the line that when I came and said, hey, we're back in the office, we're going to be back in the office three days a week. And, and what, what I don't understand. Yeah, I said, it's the intangible. Okay. I know that you might even be more efficient sitting at your dining table than you are here. But all of our greatest ideas, all of all of our biggest vision. All of our biggest wins have come through proximity, not through you doing an assignment in isolation. Uh, and so that was kind of the last big hill team-wise that I had to take with my team. It was like, hey, we're back in the office. This is how it's going to be. We're going to be a team that is proximate to one another. We're going to be a relational team, not a transactional team. Right. Um, and if you don't want that, then find a new team. Well, even there... We as uh, people of us who employ people and manage people, it's it's pretty well documented. 
documented that the power dynamic is entirely shifted. Any any advantage that the boss or employer had is long gone because mm-hmm. people have other options and uh, they're they're just they're just not there. And I think also, you know, if you've been in that team environment, you've you, you've you've had your coach get up in your grill. Oh you, yeah. You you've been yelled at. You've been yelled at in front of other people. Yes. You've been quote unquote devalued. And That's, demoralized. Yes. Demoralized. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's hard when you're a manager when you know like every word has to be perfectly just said right the right way because people have never had that coaching experience where it came out wrong. But so what? The coach, the coach, then get what they want. Yeah, you give you give you give your boss a level of grace because they're never going to do as bad as your coach did in high school, who was who was really the last in line when it came to manners. Oh, how about how about my defensive line coach grabbing me by the helmet, like the face mask, and just dragging me into the ground? And he said, if you don't know which way to step, then I'll I'll push your dumb ass in the right direction. You know, like this, this is what I'm used to. Right. And so when somebody tells me no, or we're not going to do it that way, and I don't owe you an explanation, I'm not going to fall apart. But, right. but when you haven't had that type of experience, then yeah, there's, there's a good chance you're going to come undone the first time somebody showed you their teeth. My high school coach got so upset that how we weren't hustling at two-a-days in the humidity of Pittsburgh in August, he took away our water. Mm-hmm. So, no, 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 no waters. No, 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 no. 95 degrees outside for three hours. No, you don't guys get any water. Oh, my gosh, the water cult of today would completely implode. <laughs> well, let me tell you, uh, again, sadly so, I coach my son's team. Now I'm trying to say this in a diplomatic way. Why? <laughs> Aggressive life isn't a diplomatic life. Come on. Let's get Na- the real Leons. Navigating their soft-ass fathers and their bullying mothers while trying to coach these boys was one of the toughest things I've ever dealt with. One boy quit in the middle of the game because he didn't want to be hit anymore. And we almost had to forfeit the game because he refused to come back out. Uh. So I get his father from the stands. Father comes down. He tells his dad, no, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. Then mom comes down and he tells his mom, no, I'm not going back out there. And so we almost had to forfeit the game. Luckily, the other coach feeling my pain, and we talked about it afterward. uh, In fact, he said in, in some very colorful language that you can barely coach these MFers anymore because anything you do, their parents are in your face or they fall apart and quit. They're not built like us. And and so luckily seeing my pain, he just had one of his boys sit so that we can keep the game even. But that that's the environment now. That's the generation that that is raising the generation that's coming. And and I really do think that unless we start to take some of this head on, and we talk about this in the book too, like how to cultivate some level of psychological safety so that you can have radical candor on your team. Because if I can't be candid with you, we can't be a team. We can't win together. We can't, you know? And and, um, and the way that things are done now, man, it is just, uh, the, like you said, the song and the dance, the tiptoeing around hard words, that's not going to get us across the finish line. Are we sure, 
that this isn't another example of um, us as an older generation. I would put you a generation beneath me here. How old are you? 43 this okay. year. You're 43 and 57. Are, are we sure this is another example of older people look at younger, younger people that you just don't measure up to me? I mean, Americans have been doing this for 250 years. We always think the next generation is weaker and less than. Are you sure we're not doing the same thing? So it's interesting you say that because the last article I read started off just that way. Every generation says that the next generation is weaker, but scientifically, this generation actually is. That's literally how the article starts off. Uh, the one that talks about grip strength and sperm mobility and, and all these other things. It, it's literally bearing itself out in the science, the drop in testosterone. All of that is bearing itself out in science. So I, I think there could be an air of, you know, like toughen up, well, you know, well, you're not like, but there's also some very real data markers that are bearing themselves out in, in people's bodies. I understand. I can understand the grip strength going down because kids aren't holding on to bats because we don't play there you go. baseball anymore. We're not, we're not building tree houses and hanging on all that stuff, but what, what virility lack of hardness, what's, what's, what it just, what, why would that be going down? Just the less strenuous things, the less aroused you can get. What, what, what's the link there? Yeah. Um, this is actually apropos the aggressive life podcast. Uh, having a non sedentary life increases your libido. It increases mm. your virility. It increases your capacity. There we go. So the sedentary nature of many men's lifestyle, whether that's television or video games or or yeah. just sitting at a desk all day and and then not doing anything else, that's what's contributing to this. Well, I, I will out myself. Actually, we talked about, about this before in the aggressive life, but it's aggressive for me to just say it, so I'll say it. Um, I've been on testosterone for the last uh, year. You're 57, though. You're not 25. Right, right. I'm 57, and one of the reasons one of the reasons I'm on my, I, got a, I got blood count tested. I was at 308. My doc, doctor, like not, not testosterone clinic that makes money when you have stuff, but my doctor, doctor says, well, you know, if you're at 425, it's not going to do anything for you. I said, I'm at 308. He says, oh, you should definitely do it. But I, one of the things, one of the reasons I didn't, do, I felt, I believe something was wrong for a while. And a lot of those natural remedies are basically what you're just saying, Leon. It's like, go out, work out, do things. Cause you can raise your testosterone. You do that. And I, I would, my workout stuff hasn't changed at all. I just couldn't make any gains at all. So yeah. it makes sense though, as we're more sedentary, just moving our thumbs as we're looking at a video screen or we're just staring at Netflix. Yeah. Would, I guess it would make sense that we, we couldn't keep an erection. That makes total sense. Yeah, it, it's tied to that. I mean, you know, the number one way to naturally raise your testosterone is to do sprints. Really? That's the number one way to naturally raise your testosterone. Just full out sprints, few few rounds of sprints. Fascinating. And, and so when you have kids who don't play outside anymore, you know, my kids go out and play outside every day. And very often it's just them outside playing outside. You know, so... We, we've kind of put ourselves into this hole. We're not playing team sports. We're not living active lives. Um, yeah, you're right. If you're not in a team sport, uh, you would never you would never sprint. No, no reason to. Wow. I Dude. mean, like you're running, running from a lion, which again, 
you know, when I was on the Serengeti with the with the Maasai. Oh, you'll like this. Can I go out of frame for a second? Yeah, you can go out of frame a minute. I won this in a jumping contest with a Maasai chief in Africa. Wow. And again, just fascinated by their culture. You know, one of the things you have to do to cross over in manhood is you have to go on a hunt. You know, you, you have to go on a hunt. And the lions are out. I actually watched lions hunt myself. They were hunting wild boar on the Serengeti. And so those boys at 13, they've got to what? They've got to sprint. They've got to run. They, they've got to kill. They've got to bring something back. It's like I'm already starting to think through what is the rite of passage that I'm going to take my son through at 13 to kind of mark the, the era in which he's moving into manhood. You know, and, and I remember talking to the chief about this, and, and that's, this is one of the things that marks you as a man. You get your first spear, hmm. and, and it's not yours until after you kill with it. You know, we, we have lost those things in, yeah. in our post-industrialized nation. Uh, and, and I think there are strategic ways to get it back, but we've got to want to get it back. Love that. When you bring your son to manhood, how are you going to treat him differently? I think it's where people people I'm interacting with they're missing on this. They're they're getting big into the the um, the celebration, the ceremony, the marking of the moment. But then afterward, they treat their son the same way. Yeah. No. If if you're bringing him into manhood, then you have a man who's in your house now, not a 13 year old or a 16 year old, whatever it was. Um, you got you got to treat him as if. I was actually living in your house. That's right. You know, I got to I got to honor your rules. It's still your house, but I'm a man living in your house. That means I probably don't have to act the way a 14 year old would. How are you thinking about that with your son? Yeah, for me, I'm thinking expanded independence uh, and kind of raising ourselves to a level of equality in how I address him. Not, not addressing him as a little boy who, who needs specific direction at every turn, but really speaking to him as an interdependent being who is starting to develop his own outlook and his own worldview and, and his own perspective. And as you said, like, he's going to still follow my rules because he's in my house. Um, but I'm not going to enforce those as I would on a seven or an eight-year-old. Yeah, uh, We're going to dialogue about those things. I'm going to trust him more. Uh, and and I'm gonna give him the opportunity to contribute, and I think that was the biggest thing my father ever gave me. Uh, I I started working when I was 13 years old, hmm. and and that was my way of a part of my rite of passage into manhood. And I don't even know if he would have framed it that way. I don't know if it was even cognizant for him as like I'm taking my son through this journey. I just remember the shift where he gave me the opportunity to contribute to the well-being of our household by taking on some of my own needs, clothing or food or anything else through work. Uh, so I started a yard cutting business when I was 13 years old. I had employees by the time I was 14, you know, and, and I have worked ever since. And my dad helped me to steward that money, manage that money, taught me about giving and tithing, taught me about saving, uh, and began to informed me for how I was going to be launched into the world. And then at 17 years old, I was launched into the world and I haven't been home since. And, and so I think about taking my son through the same kind of 
steps, but with more intentionality because I'm seeing it now. In hindsight, I'm putting together the pieces that my dad offered. I'm putting together uh, the pieces that we find in other more tribal cultures. I'm putting together the pieces uh, that we see kind of in the arc of world history. And I'm, and I'm plotting a course for my son so that when he leaves my home, uh, he enters the world as prepared as he can be uh, to, to face it as a man. Love that. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a bit sluggish, not confident I was getting all the nutrients that I felt that I needed, and I thought maybe this is an easy solution. So I drink AG1 in the morning. I love doing the morning. I do it on an empty stomach. It forces me to get 12 ounces of water into my system. I love doing something proactive and aggressive to make me feel better and at least give me peace of mind. AG1 is designed with this kind of ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. Each scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life to take control of your health. Check it out. Big news, pre-sales for the next two books in the Five Marks of a Man library are open right now. It's almost like we could say the Five Marks of a Man trilogy. Almost. Yeah, there's like almost. Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then there's- The Five Marks of Five Marks of trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite the same <laughs> the same writing quality, but but close. Close, very close. Close. Very close. So this is includes a repackaged edition of the original, along with updated artwork and a new preface, and an all-new tactical guide designed to be used with a group of like-minded dudes giving you challenges, prompts, discussion questions to work the marks into your life. Take my word for it, this isn't your grandmother's fill-in-the-blank guide. It's unlike anything you may have experienced before in written form. Pre-order either book, and you'll get access to a limited edition Five Marks poster. Get all the details and claim your poster over at bryantome.com slash Five mark. That's bryantome.com slash five marks. Now, back to the show. You mentioned earlier, as leaders of the team, we have to have, we have to create psychological safety for radical candor. Yes. Talk more about that. What, do you, what does that mean? Psychological safety, meaning that if you are honest with me, I'm not going to leverage my power dynamic to to punish you uh, or to diminish you or to isolate you or uh, or to otherwise neutralize your contribution uh, because you can be forthright and honest with me. I'm going to actually talk to you as an equal. So psychological safety says that I'm that, you know, you can say to me, hey, PL, that's what they call me. Hey, PL. I really I really didn't like that. 
uh, I didn't like how that felt uh, or I wasn't comfortable with that interaction without me flipping out and and uh, and using the power I have to rob you of agency or dignity. Yeah, we've noticed that here, my day job as well, that when we have been most unhealthy, we've had some unhealthy times over the last uh, several years, there's been a lack of lack of candor is what we said. I like how you say radical candor, which I'm not sure why that is. I've asked our team, why is that? Because you guys know that I'm, I'm full of candor with you. Is it you're afraid that I'm going to whack you if you say something I don't like, which I don't think is the truth because you guys say that stuff to me all the time, but lower down in the organization, like just one level down, there's things that are very obvious that people are not saying to one another and it's creating big, big, big problems. Are are you saying that maybe people around me might have radical candor because they feel, even though I'm powerful and have a mystique about me, I'm making them feel somewhat safe and maybe others lower down might not be making people feel safe? What, what, That's what? exactly what I'm saying. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, just from our interactions, you lead at a much larger scale than I do. Um, you've been leading much longer than I have. But you still speak to me as a peer and not an underling. That's the first thing I notice about you. And there are leaders, we both know them, we've been in rooms with them, uh, who are 50 plus, and and they speak to grown men like their children. Hmm. Uh, and I do my best not to be around those types of leaders because I can't hold my tongue. And, and so rather than, than harm them or myself, I just, I just steer clear. It, it's obvious to me that over these years, at least in your executive team and whoever's immediately around you, You've created that same kind of equality. Like, yes, there's a, uh, I'm going to use a big word unnecessarily. There's an ontological hierarchy, right? Just, just like in the Trinity. There's an ontological hierarchy. They know you're the boss. They know you're the senior pastor. It's obvious to me that you've also created an air of equality and interdependence. And that creates radical candor because that's the safety that's there. And so I would say, you know, down into the, the uh, organization, Maybe the digging is to figure out at every level, is is the point leader at every level operating the same way you are? Are they are they treating the people who work with and for them like peers? Are they treating them like underlings? You know, have they lost their crap before? We all have. And and when they did, do they come back around in humility and say, hey, please forgive me. Uh, I was way out of line there. You know, or do they expect everybody to just sweep it under the rug for them because they're the boss? You know, so that that'd be where I would do the digging and say, okay, what am I doing differently that's not being done two, three, four levels down? Uh, and how do we address it with each of the point leaders so that they are creating the same kind of environment at their level that I'm creating at mine? This is rich, man. I, I probably shouldn't be asking you specific questions as much as allowing you to dictate the conversation. There's a reason that you wrote a book on this. So just like, tell me what I should be knowing that I'm not even going to know to ask about the resilience factor, step-by-step -step guide to catalyze an unbreakable team. What else, what else do you have to give us to whet our appetite uh, before we actually buy the book? Yeah. So the, the book I think personally is one of the most well-constructed leadership books that I've read because it's practical. 
And, and so I will say, if you're a theory person, well, actually, if you're a theory person, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> oh, ow! Like no, no, you basically no, no. said, if you're a person who likes to think, you don't listen to this, this podcast. No, that's a compliment. If you're okay. a person who likes to think and not do, this goes. is probably not the circle for you. Amen. Uh, but if you're a thinker who who wants to act on what you learn, then this is a great book because it it is formatted uh, like a workbook. So it's not. It's not just a leadership book you're going to read through and then try to distill the six principles you learn from it uh, to your team. But it's actually written so that you work through it with your team step by step over eight movements. Uh, and each of those movements are curated specifically to produce a tangible result. So, you know, one of the things we found for teams that thrive and teams that are resilient is they have a very, very clear ability to articulate their shared mission. And, and maybe you would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be surprised at the number of teams I've personally sat with and everyone had a different definition, understanding, or spin on what the mission of the team was. Uh, and so if you don't have a shared mission, you can't have resilience because resilience is built in, as a team is built in the interlocking strength of commonality. Well, if we're not pulling in the same direction, then we're not going to be a good team, let alone a resilient team. So it takes you through the steps of forming a common team mission. Uh, it takes you through the steps of cultivating uh, psychological safety so that you can have radical candor. We even give you a map. Uh, of how to have a hard conversation, where to start, maybe what words to choose, uh, what what words to avoid, where are the landmines, right? And and we do this over eight movements, so that by the time you get to the end of this book, there should be a shared confidence on the team uh, that you are more of a team, uh, and that you're a more resilient team. On top of that, so this is meant to be done in a team context. This is not just you and your your you and your alone time. That's exactly right. Now, is it a good read? Yes. You can do it in your alone time, uh, but you will only get about 40% of the benefit out of the book. Uh, it, it's built so that you and five to seven other leaders are walking through this all together uh, and, and coming out at every movement with something tangible that grows the strength of your team. And that's why it's called the resilience factor. You're saying your team will last if you're doing these things together. That's exactly right. Resiliency is a really under undervalued characteristic. I think most of us would much rather have success than resiliency, significance than resiliency, richness than resiliency, notoriety than resiliency, you know, all these things. There's just that thing of, of, of hanging on. You mentioned grip strength. We've talked before here in the aggressive life about Peter Atia's work. If, if we talked about that, are you aware of him and what? Oh what yeah. Love, love Peter Atiyah. Yeah. He's got, uh, and you're about the whole thing about how to live the last decade of your life. Have you heard that whole thing? Yeah. I watched the special he did with Chris Hemsworth too, which was fascinating. Oh, he did, he did a special with Chris, Chris Hemsworth. What was it? Oh gosh. It's on Disney plus and it's all about Chris Hemsworth learning uh, how to live the longest he can, the longest possible life and the healthiest huh. possible life. And, and Atia is walking him through every step of it. That's, and that's on Disney plus. Yeah. So he, he talks on that special grip strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those who don't know, he says that basically some of the things in the early part of your life, the way to 
keep living is don't do anything stupid. Don't fall out of a tree. Don't, don't have a motorcycle accident without a helmet on. Don't, you know, yada, 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 which I've done all these things, by the way, fell out of many trees right. and motorcycle accidents without <laughs> helmets. But anyway, you die because of something like that. The, the middle parts of your life, I think his thing is about um, uh, aerobic stuff, keep down yep. heart disease by keeping the blunt pumping and everything. And he said yep. the, the last decade of your life, whatever you're always going to have the last decade, he says the, the main thing is grip strength. Yep. Because when you fall and break something as an 80-year-old, 90-year-old, 70-year-old, whatever old it is, your last decade, that's when you die real fast. That's and right. you generally fall because you're stumbling and you can't grab onto something and keep yourself up. Yep. So grip strength. And um, he's got basically his test is, unless he's changed it, you've seen the special is, ha- see, work on hanging from a chin-up bar for two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and farmers, he added farmers oil. Oh, he did. So what's yeah. his thing there? Oh, gosh. It's a percentage of your body weight in each hand. Think for a 90-second walk or maybe two-minute walk. Interesting. Okay. I'll have to check because, that one because out. Because what he added to it uh, was not only the grit strength, but the balance, too. Balance is something that uh, we, we start to lose as we age. Right. Uh, so I've actually, um, I'm lifting weights less now that I've kind of crossed that threshold into 40. And I'm doing more sprinting. I'm doing a lot more Pilates, uh, you know, for, for core strength and core balance. Uh, and, and doing a lot more functional movements rather than bodybuilding movements for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, you're ringing my bell every year. I say, okay, this year I'm going to do more yoga because I can feel my flexibility going away. I can just feel it's different when I put on a sock, like I'm not as rooted. I, I got to do it. I got to do it. But gosh, it's so hard to go do yoga instead of doing your same old, same old dumbbells, you know? Well, I do yoga at home, so I don't know if that'll help you. But uh, on YouTube, they have a hundred different teachers. And I'm just working into my morning routine three days a week. After I spend some time with the Lord, I do yoga right there in my bedroom. How long do you do it for? 20 to 25 minutes. Oh, it's it's that short. I was thinking it was an hour. Oh, no. 20 to 25 minutes. That's all you need. All right. All right. Gosh. All right. Put that on the to-do list. So I've got a Peloton membership. So they got, they've got all the stuff that on the switch around monitor. So yeah, we may, we may check that. All right. Anyway, resiliency, resiliency. So what else? If someone wants to increase their resiliency, what else can we do? Well, it's actually um, very tied to the conversation we're having because what is resilience? Resilience is strength and flexibility, right? That's that, that is, you know, at its core, what, what something, when something is resilient, it is both strong and flexible, meaning that it can be pushed to the very brink uh, and and still not break because of the strength, but it has give because of the flexibility. And, and so to build in resiliency as a as an individual, uh, you put yourself, and this was a part of the, the thing that he went through with Hemsworth, you put yourself in situations that test your limits. And so in order to build resiliency in a team, what do you do? You put yourself in strategic situations that test the weak points of your team. And, and that's what this book is taking you through. Because we, we define resilience as not just surviving a hard thing. That's not resilience. Re- resilience is going through something challenging and dynamically learning from it so that you adapt to your new reality. And, and what we've seen through the pandemic in particular, and that's that's what kind of sparked the resilience anger angle on this, because 
um, Warren Bird and I were having this conversation, uh, which he's he's one of the guys I wrote the book with. Uh, and we found that resilience is the secret ingredient. It is it is it. It's not education. Uh, it's not tenure. It's not knowledge. It's not instinct. Uh, leaders that last companies that last churches that last at their core is an ability not only to get up again when you've been punched in the mouth, but to move forward with the lessons that you learn and to adapt to whatever the reality is on the other side of that. And you and I have been talking about this with respect to the church. I think part of where the Western church is struggling right now, where I'm struggling, uh, is we are trying to adapt the present to the past. That's not resilient. Resilience is adapting the present to the present, to the reality that you're in so that you can start to shape the future. Wait, wait, say that again. We're trying to adapt the present to the past. past. What What do you mean by that? Meaning we're trying to make this reality fit the one that we came up with. Okay. So church attendance, let's just deal with that. Before the pandemic, church attendance was 1.7 times to 1.9 times a month. That's what it was. Now it's one or less times per month. So for me to try and figure out ways to get people in the door more often is trying to adapt the present to the past rather than realizing that people have worn new grooves. And so I'm going to have to follow this river around with them and lead them in this present reality, knowing that I'm only going to get them one time a month. So how does that change my preaching schedule? How does that change how we do groups? How does that change how we do communication? You know, one of the things that one of the tangible outworkings of that is normally we do a vision Sunday. Well, I think this year I'm going to do like a vision month or a vision three weeks because I know that I'm not going to have the even the majority of the core in the room if I only do one vision Sunday versus, you know, hanging on to this vision Sunday because, well, this is what we did in the past. And so I'm going to adapt the present to the past. And, and that's not that's not resilience. Yeah, that's that's a good reminder for all of us. I think when you when you don't have resilience as well, you you just bemoan the way things are right now, and that's why you, you exactly just keep right. you keep clinging on to the past. Right? That's exactly right. If only it was the way it was back when then I would feel better right now. If only it was the way back when, then I'd be able to do X, Y, Z. Whereas resiliency really demands that we live in the present world. That's that's really well said, man. That's, well, and live in the present world with the lessons that we've learned on our way to it. Yeah. Like, what did we learn through the pandemic? What did we learn? What did we learn about people and their patterns? What did, you know, what did we learn from the fact that people were going to two or three churches at once? What, what did we learn by the fact that, you know, in our sector, I know people are in many different sectors on this, uh, who, who listen to this podcast, but in our sector, what did we learn from the fact that for most churches, our income either stayed the same or went up, even though our attendance went down? And are we adapting to those realities? Yeah. But as leaders... It seems like people distrust leaders more today than they did in the past. Yes? No? Yes. Yes. We actually, the the opening chapter starts there. That leadership itself is way more distrusted. In in fact, uh, one of the paradigms we put together is, is now direction is seen as dominance. Clarity is seen as control. Expectations are seen as burdens. Accountability is seen as abuse. Like these are real 
variables that, that we're having to navigate through as leaders. And how do we navigate through them? Or do we just not do those things and everything goes weak? Or do we do those things and look like ogres? We, we do those things with a gentleness and a wisdom that maybe we have not had in the past. And, and and that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know the future. I don't know if everything will go well, but I've been brought back over and over again to Jesus' words, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And, and so it has really changed my approach. I mean, we just, you know, we just let someone go um, recently. What I would have done in one conversation, this is just a concrete example. What I would have done in one conversation, I did over the course of seven conversations over several weeks. Right. So that they felt heard, they felt seen, they, you know, they got to express their perspective. It wasn't going to change the outcome. Uh, but as far as I can tell, they've walked away from the situation, uh, still maintaining a love and respect for me, even where we disagree and the outcome is the same. Whereas, you know, in years past, I would have come in and said, here are the you know numbers. Here's where things are. This is this can't continue to go forward. Love you. Uh, you know, we're going to give you three months severance and God bless you. <laughs> blessed additions, blessed subtractions. Amen. Leonce, this has been fantastic. I know I know we only grazed the surface. If someone wants to find you, find this book, find your information, where do they go? Yeah, at Leonce Crump, L-E-O-N-C-E-C-R-U-M-P on any social media platform. And then the book releases June 20, and you'll be able to get it everywhere books are sold. I love when we've got a topic that's relevant to my life. And when it's from a friend of mine who I respect very, very greatly. And when I am challenged now to do something different, I hope you get the same thing. Hey, hey, friends, look, let's remind ourselves. This is not the interesting thoughts life. It's not the leadership philosophy life. It's the aggressive life. There should be something here that you're going to be pushed to do when you get out of here. Are you going to start that seven conversation process that Leon's just talked about with somebody in your organization? Are you going to increase your grip strength and start hanging on a chin-up bar for a while? Are you going to go out and do wind sprints? Are you going to start yoga? Are you going to repent of being a self-centered weenie boy and weenie girl who can't play well with others in the sandbox because you've never been on a team. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something for you. And all those things, they are for you. This isn't a new law or new you oughtas. These are for you. We do these things. We grow. We thrive. We go forward. So, Leon, thanks for building into us. Everybody else, we'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. Pre-orders for my new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man, and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.